ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. What if the most remarkable person in your family was someone you'd never heard of? Fanny Finch was a woman with African heritage, a Goldfields pioneer and one of the first women to vote in Australia. Finding her challenges some long-held prejudices. Father and daughter Bill and Alice Garner are direct descendants of Fanny Finch. Not that we knew, Bill. Not a clue. Bill and Alice are actors. They're also both historians. But Casey is the expert. Casey Sinclair is completing a history PhD on Fanny Finch. Like Fanny, I'm a woman of colour and, 150 years after she did, I also moved to Castlemaine. Castlemaine is 120 kilometres north of Melbourne in the central Victorian goldfields. Hello, I'm Kirsty Melville. And today on The History Listen, we're finding Fanny Finch. Early in 1852, a woman pushing a wheelbarrow joins a long line of diggers on the track to the central Victorian goldfields. Fanny Finch, then 37, is a big, strong woman. She's heading for a camp packed with thirsty miners, where grog prices are sky high. Fanny had come out to South Australia as a domestic servant in 1837, just one month after Colonel Light surveyed the site for Adelaide. There, she married Joe Finch, a chainman from the survey party. But leaving him behind in 1850, Fanny took their children with her to Melbourne, children she now had to board out before leaving for the goldfields. It took Fanny four days to get to the Forest Creek diggings, where she set up a tent that soon became popular. The head centre and general resort of everybody. The only place of entertainment on the creek. Long after she's gone, someone writes, if anyone would hear Fanny's name now, no doubt they'd remember the many memorable nights had by her tent. That's Castlemaine Band, friends of Wendy Cotton. They're coming with us. Slide rocking, or selling alcohol without a licence, was illegal. It was profitable, but risky. The punishment was a hefty fine. But first, the tent was burnt down. Fanny's tent was destroyed twice in one week. Each time the police burn it down, the diggers put up another one. Fanny prospered at Forest Creek. In 1854, she moved her business into Castlemaine, expanded it, and placed a notice in the local paper. Baths? 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 Baths, baths, baths! What, 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 you... what does Fanny sound like? What's her voice? You're an actor. Come down to the bath. Mrs Fanny Finch begs respectfully to inform the inhabitants of Castlemaine and diggers generally that she has taken the undimensioned extensive premises which she has furnished as a bathing establishment. Yeah, that's good. May I? Please. In offering this great summer luxury to her friends, Mrs F begs to assure them that no expense has been spared and that every regard has been paid to the comfort and convenience of bathers and hopes to meet that encouragement and support which such an undertaking deserves. 
A refreshment and reading room is attached where all the leading periodicals will be found. Ladies and children carefully attended to by Mrs F personally. Note the address. Templeton Street, next door to Mrs Pye and Company's Lemonade Manufactory. Wash the digging stars to Chilling for a bath, uh-huh. one crown will make your dreams come true. <sighs> the bathing establishment proved costly. Then she got a heavy fine for selling grog. She boldly proposed a solution for her money worries in a letter to the Mount Alexander Mail. If those who were in my debt would come forward, each with one third, I would be relieved of all debts have a good home for my family and cash to put in my pocket. I also beg to state that in spite of what enemies I may have, I intend to keep throughout the winter ready-cooked ham, beef soups a la mode, etc. from seven in the morning till seven at night. (laughs) She does not miss a chance. She's not shy. Listen to this. A coloured lady attired in bright blue silk and artificial flowers. How good would it be to find a picture of that? Any picture of her. Fanny Finch must have been brave. Late one night, walking home from her restaurant, she heard screaming coming from inside a shop. She bursts in and makes her way through to a bedroom. She sees a man attacking a woman. She drags him off. She pushes him out of the room. She bounces him on the counter. She holds him until the police get there. The story appeared in the Mount Alexander Mail. Everyone in Castlemaine heard about it. Fanny was known to be a defender of women and children. Even back in Melbourne, in Burke Street, where she witnessed the continuing abuse of seven-year-old Mary Ann Bamford at the hands of her drunken parents. Don't murder your child. You neglect her sufficiently without being so cruel to her. She offers to pay for medical attention for Mary Ann. I'll carry her to the hospital myself. I'll get the police if you don't help her. By the time the parents take her to a doctor, it's too late. Fanny testified at the inquest and then at the mother's trial for murder. To see children abused, I will say my piece. A strong-minded woman with a genuine tenderness of heart which led her to be ever ready to serve another in distress and that, too, without the slightest ostentation. Someone said that? It's your obituary. No face was more welcome at the Castlemaine Hospital and not anyone, perhaps, was more charitable to its inmates. She was continually supplying them with creature comforts and regularly as Christmas came round... She furnished the whole female ward with a first-rate tea with all the necessary concomitants. Not that it helps me when I end up there. I don't know where all the subscription money goes because the place is filthy. Holes in the floor, mice running everywhere. The matron is a monster, but nothing compared to that quack in charge. What was wrong with you? A disease I won't mention. And then I go back in with a cough and they keep me there for more than two months. Inflammation of the lungs, they say. I don't know how I recovered. 
You didn't. You died. Not yet. I've just got started. Fanny Finch died at the Castlemaine Hospital in 1863. That quack killed me. She was buried at Campbell's Creek, but without a headstone. Like a pauper? There's a proper headstone now, a beauty, paid for by the government. On my grave? Yes. The governor did that? Not the governor, the government, the minister for women. There's a minister for women? While running her business at Forest Creek, Fanny kept her daughters in boarding school in Melbourne. But later the kids are with her in Castlemaine. Did they help with the sly grog? It is a restaurant. Sorry, restaurant? Thank you, young man. Fanny Finch was big on correcting the record. A notice in a local paper said she was required to apologise for insulting Miss Miller. I never. She belts out a letter to the miners' right. Sir, in the first place, I am not acquainted with a Miss Miller. In the next place, I am not in the habit of using any expression likely to injure the character of any female, as even to require a private, let alone a public apology. So I will thank you to rectify the assertion to my satisfaction in next, Fanny Finch. She's defiant. They cause me endless trouble. There was a sustained campaign against sly grogging during the 1850s, not because it was considered such an evil. The £50 fine provided substantial revenue. And the troopers get a cut. She's charged with sly grogging again. Apart from a heavy fine, Fanny faced four months jail for failure to pay. I had a lawyer. Uh, She always had a lawyer. Fanny was tried in the police court. The Melbourne Argus calls Fanny the notorious Mrs Fanny Finch. It's not just the sly grog charge. The Mount Alexander Mail says the fair Fanny invited two policemen into her tent. They were acting under orders, of course they were. We're playing four in hand and the police join in. Goes on for three and a half hours. They're playing for lemonade at first. Then they ask for a couple of nobblers, brandies. I know their game. The police said Fanny produced a bottle from under the sofa. That wasn't a crime, as long as she received no payment. Her lawyer insisted that Fanny wouldn't be so stupid as to take money for grog from police in uniform. They swore they paid me after everyone else had left. They were lying. The bench accepted the police story. I appealed immediately. At her appeal, Fanny was represented by her friend, Morris McDonough. I loved Morris. A real fighter in court. Very good comic actor, too. Drank himself to death very young. McDonough's main line of argument was entrapment. He asked the police who sent them on the job. The judge told them not to answer. Jackson. The judge was likely protecting Edmund Jackson the licensee of the Victoria Hotel, next door to Fanny's restaurant. He pays people to dob in sly groggers. Morris says, how can police spies be compared with someone of my good reputation? He accuses them of being vandemonians. Uh, We call them Tasmanians now. Why? To clean up their reputation. Vandemonians? 
Fanny insisted a police constable had told her if they couldn't get her on the sly grog charge, they'd start a row and get her for keeping a disorderly tent. My tent is never disorderly. A disorderly tent was code for a brothel. They want to drive me out of Castlemaine. If my word is not to be believed and the police continue to perjure themselves, then all I can do is appeal to the people of Castlemaine. She writes to the Mount Alexander Mail. Sir, I can scarcely tell you what I want to say, but write this letter as coming from myself, making notice of the time which is, since the diggings first opened, my having house, and at one time the only one either the commissioners or diggers could be accommodated in. I have held a licensed refreshment tent ever since the diggings commenced and can prove by any of my former neighbours that there never, and I believe the only tent that there was never, even a quarrel in and always conducted by myself. My neighbours on my right and at the back say they do not wish for a better neighbour, as does every neighbour that I have had before and are willing to prove it. Except the neighbour on your left. Everyone knows that. Edmund Jackson. Jackson's preferred target was unprotected females. His own lawyer sues him for unpaid legal fees. For prosecuting sly groggers. To whom must I look for protection? I am compelled to seek it from someone but cannot tell who. The head of police should certainly see into these sort of affairs and not allow if two or three have a spite against an individual to be crushed just as they please, for I positively deny ever taking one shilling from the two constables for grog in any shape. In the week following Fanny's appeal, a long letter appeared in the mail under the pen name Constant Reader. Its writer insisted Fanny was being persecuted. Mrs Finch has a family to maintain and provide for and should be allowed every legitimate means of doing so as well as any other person. Means have been taken to entrap her into a violation of the law. I believe I state correctly when I say that war is declared against her. Someone finally says it in public. Was it Gus? Gus Yandel was often at my tent. Well, he remembers Fanny with affection. The good times at Forest Creek. Would you be free for this dance, Mrs Finch? I hope that other persons will corroborate my statement as public opinion, biased by the police report, may injure her business and family. With such support... Fanny stepped up her public presence. In 1856, at the first Castlemaine municipal elections, she and another woman, whose name we don't know, filled out ballots. Although women as a class couldn't vote in the colonies, as a ratepayer, Fanny was eligible to vote in local elections. 
Edmund Jackson's on the ballot. It's a pleasure to put a line through his name. But election officials refused to count Fanny's vote, or that of her female companion. They threw out our votes. We're ratepayers. They say we have no right because we're women. Parliament then ruled that only male ratepayers were eligible to vote. But thrown out or not, Fanny's vote was one of the first ever cast by a woman in Australia. Her voting slip is on display in the Castlemaine Art Museum. Someone kept it. When leaders were sore in the colony, there was one candidate quite unnamely. The men of the town all had their say. A woman showed in blue satin on A few months later, the bailiff raids Fanny's place. They trash everything. She writes to the paper again. Sir, I have no doubt that you will not allow an oppressed woman to be treated with the cruelty I have experienced a few days since. Imagine, sir, the sheriff sending down the bailiff to seize upon my goods and after almost ruining me, quietly saying that he had mistaken me for a person of another name. Mistaken identity was a ploy to intimidate Sly Groggers, even if charges were later withdrawn. How could anyone mistake the notorious Fanny Finch for somebody else? Everybody knows who I am. Notice. Whereas a pretty little spaniel dog followed me home last Saturday week, the owner can have it back by paying me one pound and the expenses of this advertisement. If he does not pay me by Monday, I shall sell it, as I was offered five pound for it, and I cannot afford to keep it. The owner lodges a complaint against Fanny for illegally detaining his dog. In December 1858, Police identify two haunts of prostitutes in Castlemaine, Mrs Blossman's and Mrs Finch's. The goods and chattels at Littleton Street are auctioned off to pay back rent. Sold up on Christmas Eve. Klaus the chemist sued her for non-payment of goods. During the proceedings, his lawyer said he would become jealous if Mrs Finch continued making private remarks to the judge. I would rather a deal talk to the judge than to him. (laughs) That that got a laugh in court. It did. Following a new gold rush, Fanny went to Amherst. But her new restaurant there burnt down. She lost everything. My little John died there. He was 12. Fanny went back to Castlemaine. Records show her in the company of a number of Castlemaine businesswomen who ran so-called gay houses. It was not a fresh start. We were getting by, me and the children. Then I go into hospital with that cough and you tell me I die. That's right, 1863. I'm, what, 48? But what a life. Sat at the table, but they wouldn't let you play. 
On her death certificate, Fanny's father is Captain Francis Jackson, Navy. Her mother is Cecilia Hotham. But actually, her mother was Lydia Holloway, a servant. Her father was a footman named John King. They were unmarried and placed their baby in the London Foundling Hospital. But her name was not Fanny, it was Louisa King. Louisa? And we even know when and where she was conceived. (laughs) I don't even know where Alice was conceived. Bill? The process of admission to the Foundling Hospital meant Fanny's mother, Lydia, had to tell them everything. Although Fanny was of African heritage, there was a policy of colour blindness, so no record was made of her parents' race. Fanny seemed to think they were both coloured. The girls in the home all sewed samplers, and embroidered on Fanny's were two persons of colour, one on each side of a house. On the back was written, Frances Coombe, Foundling Girl, 15 years of age, 1830. Coombe? Baby Louisa King was re-baptised Frances Coombe by the Foundling Hospital. It was standard practice. Fanny just made up Captain Jackson and Cecilia Hotham. Yet they're in the family tree. But not Fanny. How long was she in the Foundling Home? I was there for 15 years. Couldn't have been happy. How else would I have learned to read and write? The hospital took pride in educating children for a useful life. At 15, Fanny started an apprenticeship in household management. Six years later, she gained a labourer's free passage to South Australia. arrived at the tent town of Adelaide in 1837. She was 22. Two years later, she married Joseph Finch. Four children survived seven pregnancies. After she left Joe, Fanny declared him alive or dead, as it suited her purpose. For a debt, he was alive. A social matter, she was a widow. I tell people, Mrs Finch begs to inform the local inhabitants that henceforth she will carry on business for her children. I am a woman endeavouring to support my children in decency. By running a brothel, it seems. You try raising four kids on your own and see what you do. Respectability was out of reach for Fanny, but maybe not for her daughter, Mary Julia. In 1858, at the age of 15 or 16, Mary Julia met a public servant named Oliver Warren Collins. He spouts Latin. The father's a rector in West Yorkshire. There's Church of England ministers in the family for 350 years. later, Mary and Oliver were married at the most fashionable church in Melbourne. Fanny recorded her written consent, but there was no mention of her in the wedding notice. Maybe I was across the street, watching. Joe got a mention, but it said he was dead. Joe didn't actually die for another 35 years. In 1853, he was convicted at Bunningyong of robbery in company and sentenced to 10 years on the roads, the first two in chains. At the time of the wedding, Joe was a ticket of leave man, stuck in Gippsland. Oh, great. Some people come out as convicts, 
In our family, they come out and become convicts. Fanny takes Joe and herself out of the picture. She's constructing a new family. A white one. The one we thought we were. I find it hard to believe that someone so vividly present in her own life would erase herself like that. That's my family history, Bill. Look, I think it's great that we live in a time when not all white people see shame in connection to a coloured heritage. But it becomes more complicated when you look at it from the other side. At least you know who you are, Casey. No, I don't. You think colour makes it clearer? My Indian and Sri Lankan heritage might be evident in my skin, but just like yours, Bill, my family history was whitewashed. It's the only reason my mother and father's families were ever accepted into Australia. They had to prove they possessed as much white blood as they did South Asian. I have white privilege, just like you, and it was leveraged for gain, just as it was for you. Alice and I haven't lived as persons of colour. The danger for us is a temptation to be self-congratulating about finding African heritage. But uh, can you be charged with appropriating your own family history? Yes. Ah. Well, there's one thing we do agree on. Fanny was a remarkable person. She defended women and children. She insisted on her right to vote. She spoke up against corruption and abuse of power. I haven't heard anything like that about any of our other ancestors. No, no one. (laughs) Frankly, it's a relief to embrace a brothel keeper after all that Anglican respectability. We're all freer to claim Fanny now. But we lost her for a long time. I'm here, young William. I'm so happy to have you in my family. I'm happy you're in mine. I'm a great-great-great-great-grandmother now, I believe. I'm, I'm so happy I found out about you before I died. Turns out you can find out lots of things after you've died. Not just a family story, though, is it? You were famous on the goldfields, Fanny Finch probably the first woman to publish in the local press and one of the first women to cast a vote in Australia. They threw out my vote. You were unfailingly kind too and supportive of other women. And yet, until recently, and perhaps still in some people's minds, the taint of sex work clouds your reputation. I was a ratepayer. Your story isn't finished. They tried to drive me out. There are still so many gaps, ambiguities, mysteries. I was lying in an unmarked grave. With a headstone now. What does it say? Brave? Outspoken? Castlemaine's first businesswoman. Really? A pioneer of the district. I can't tell you how important it is to find you. Thank you. Thank you for looking for me. Rise and fall on a London high tide A future uncertain, courage a guide Finding Fanny Finch was adapted from the stage play based on research by Casey Sinclair, written by Bill Garner and Sue Gore, and performed by Bill Garner, Alice Garner, Casey Sinclair and Castlemaine band Friends of Wendy Cotton. 
Original music was recorded by Casey Rice. It was produced for radio by Miyuki Yokiranta. The sound engineer was Angie Grant, with additional music mixing by Brendan O'Neill. I'm Kirsty Melville. Thanks for your company. Join me again next time on the History Listen. See you then. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.